So getting into our message this morning, I want you to take your Bible and go ahead and open it to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. As always, you can follow along on our website, fccgrayson.com. Uh, go scroll through till you see the message notes, and you can follow along with us there as we go through this. You can add your own notes, and at the end, you can email them to yourself so that you can have record of your notes as you go along. But this morning, I want to begin by asking a question to everyone who's listening to this, everyone who's watching this, is in your life, what is the one thing that consistently brings you the most joy? Now, I know that the answers can vary probably even within your own living room there that you're setting amongst your family as to what brings the most joy in your life. Is it, is it your family? Is it that family that you're looking at right now? Uh, but I think that for everyone uh, that says that family is the source of their greatest joy, I think that there's a good number of people who would also be able to say that family is probably one of their sources of greatest pain and hurt. It, um, it may be uh, your friendships. Maybe it's your friendships that bring you the most joy. Or maybe, maybe it's the new guy or the new girl that, that you've been dating. Uh, some people may answer my job, my career. Uh, some may even be honest enough to say my possessions, you know, my hobbies, the things that I've been able to uh, accumulate. That's what brings me the most joy. And, and if we're really transparent this morning, there may be some of you who would say, uh, you know, Pastor, there's really just not much joy at all in, in my life. I can't really look at one area and say that that consistently brings me joy. But now, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and, and you're living for Him, then all of us should be able to say and answer confidently that our source of greatest joy is um, the resurrection and the salvation that Jesus Christ has extended to me. You see, as a believer, the Lord should be the center of our lives. He, he should be the place from where all of our joys flow, from if, uh, you know, with, with our families, with our friendships, with our jobs, with our possessions, with all of these other activities, they should originate from this source of joy in Jesus Christ. And yes, I do believe that as followers of Jesus Christ, that if you remove Jesus Christ from our lives, then all of these other sources of joy should, well, plainly spoken, just crumble in our lives because our lives need to be built on the joy of our faith, our salvation in a resurrected Savior. But I fear that far too many Christians, for far too many Christians or nominal Christians, if we want to air quote it, that salvation is just something that's nice, but not something that they see as necessary. You know, something that adds a little bit of a fulfillment to what they consider to be an already well-rounded life, but it's not really essential to the core of our life. And I believe that if that's you this morning, if you were to be really honest, you may even shrug your shoulders and kind of ask the question in your own mind of what's really so great about this salvation thing. Anyhow, I really don't see how my life would change at all if salvation or my relationship with Jesus Christ was removed from it. And you see, these, this is a dangerous place to be because all of us are facing something right now that I believe that whether we've answered this question with family, with possessions, with Jesus, with other things, that there are moments in each of our lives where God will reveal what our priorities are. 
He will reveal what the answer to this question is in our life. And I believe that those answers are revealed when we find ourselves in an affliction, in a time of trial, in a time of struggle, of tribulation. That's when we really begin to find out what our priorities are. I believe that right now what we're seeing is we are seeing a focus on what really is considered to be essential in our lives. Think about it for just a moment. That hustle and bustle that you couldn't live without a couple, just a couple months ago, how essential does that seem to you right now in your life? That busyness, that deadline, that task, that, that project, those things that were so essential to us just a month ago, how essential is that to us now? Or maybe, you, maybe you're seeing that this time with family, that even though, hey, it may be full of tension at times, man, this is, this is really important. This is really nice. Maybe this time of where I can actually focus on what's happening at my home just a little bit more than what I ever have. Maybe I can focus on my neighbors and their well-being. Maybe I can reach out and have conversations with folks. Maybe I can actually invest myself in loving my neighbor a little bit more than I really ever have before. And man, this just kind of feels like it, it's how it should be. You see, I believe that it's in times of trial, in times of difficulties, that really the focus returns to our life. Because I think that there's so many things, I, I, and I'll speak for myself, there's so many things in my life that have been on the peripheral, that, that have had me looking to my left, looking to my right, and not focusing on the real essential things, which includes Jesus Christ as much as I should be. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been stepping through 1 Peter chapter 1, and what we found out is that the people that Peter is writing to in this letter, they were suffering afflictions. Now, he doesn't go into great detail as to specific afflictions or trials that they were going through, but I think it would probably be safe that some of them were even facing the possibility of martyrdom because of this newfound faith that they had in Jesus Christ. Maybe some of them were facing some situations at home where their spouse wasn't necessarily a believer in Jesus. Maybe some of their employers, the people they worked for, maybe they didn't follow Jesus. Maybe their, their communities, maybe the people that they were in relationship with, friends, extended family, maybe they weren't followers of Jesus and maybe they found themselves under, under pressure in these situations. Now when it's times that we face consistent pressures and situations and trials, like Peter's writing to and like we're facing right now, I believe it's natural sometimes for us to have kind of these questions rolling through our minds of, is, it really, is, it, is this faith really worth suffering for? Is it really worth going through this? Is all this pain worth it? That I'm going through all this stuff that I'm facing, is it really worth it? And I believe that Peter's answer is to get them to look up from their suffering, to get them to focus away from the things that they're facing and look to the salvation and resurrection of Jesus Christ and see that it's more than worth it because the salvation that we have in Him is so great. The salvation that we enjoy is one that we'll see here in just a few minutes in our passage, is one that the Old Testament prophets wanted to understand and grasp a hold of even more. And he says it's even a salvation that's so great that the angels peer and look into it trying to understand it. 
You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has brought us a salvation so great that we should joyfully endure suffering trials and persecutions in this life because of the, the way that they're viewed in light of the glory and the majesty of eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. Now, to trace Peter's flow of thought up until this point is we see that in verses 3 through 5, he tells us about this spiritual inheritance, this eternal inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus that take our focus off of the trial that we're facing now and look to heaven and look at that eternal inheritance. Then last week, we looked at verses 6 through 9, where he was talking about that even in the midst of our joy, or even in the midst of our trial, that we should be taking our joy and our hope and our love and our faith and our comfort through Jesus Christ, that he is the only source. And now he begins to encourage believers once again in the midst of trial. So he's looked at it from a futuristic perspective. Then he brings us into the present and looks at the present tense perspective, which is what we covered last week. And now he goes back and he says, I want to take you to a time past. If this is a television show or if this is a movie, this is kind of a flashback scene that Peter is giving his writers or his readers at the time. And he's also giving to us as well. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And that reads, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of all the things that they have now been told, that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. We thank you for this time that, that we take and pause and remember your victory over the grave. Father, I pray right now that you would open our hearts, open our ears to understand your word. God, I pray that you do the work in every heart that is hearing this message, that's watching this service, that you would open them up and that you would touch their lives. Father, I pray for me right now that you would remove as much of me as possible and that you would speak through me, Father, that this is not my words, but these are your words, Father. And I pray that I would rightly, accurately, and correctly divide your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage, Peter's really enforcing about how great that this salvation is, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gives us the opportunity for. And I believe that he shows us several points, and we'll step through those this morning, as to why this salvation is so great. First, I believe it's great because it's the message of God's grace. Peter uses the word grace in verse 10 as a synonym for the salvation of which we've received, but really we're not going to truly understand until Christ returns. Now, as we talked about last week, I believe that there are three tenses of our salvation. 
the past, present, future thing again. I believe that we were saved from sin's penalty when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that we are presently being saved from sin's power as we walk by our faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that ultimately we will be saved from sin's presence because we persevere in our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to take just a few moments and I want to camp out on the word grace here for just a minute. Because, well, number one, it's important to Peter because he uses the word ten times in this book. And also because it's pretty widely misunderstood in our time. Many Christians today confuse grace for a hang-loose, kind of laid-back flavor of Christianity that urges us not to be too rough on ourselves and not to have too high of a standard of living for Christ. The danger in this type of thinking is that when we think this way about grace, then we become tolerant of sin that the Bible speaks plainly against. And this is not, this type of grace is not what Jesus died for, nor is it the type of grace that he was resurrected for. Grace, biblical grace, is undeserved favor in our lives. I, you, none of us can accept God's grace until we begin to understand and appreciate how unworthy we are to receive anything from God other than his wrath, his judgment, and then we begin to see God's grace in a whole new light. You see, God's grace, properly understood from a biblical standpoint, is not at odds with obedience to God's word. Rather, grace is the motivation for us to be obedient to God. Now, no sooner does Peter tell us that we should fix our hope completely on God's grace, which he does in verse 13, he then goes on in verses 14 and 15 to tell us that we need to be completely and totally obedient and holy as we live for God. You see, an emphasis on grace in our lives is not opposed to an emphasis on being obedient to God. But let's not miss this point because I could get off on that, that rabbit trail and spend the rest of the day there. Our salvation is great because it is the message of God's grace made possible through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means this morning that there is hope for every sinner no matter how great your sins are. And that, my friends, is really good news. The only thing that keeps us from experiencing God's grace is pride that tells, us, tells ourselves that we're a good enough person and that we don't need God's grace. But the fact of it is this morning, if you'll confess your sins, then the cross of Jesus Christ, his burial and his resurrection is sufficient to forgive you completely of your sins. It's also great because it was predicted by the Old Testament prophets. Now, we see in this passage that they made careful search and inquiry to know the, the time and the circumstances of this Messiah and this suffering that, that he would have to go through. And Peter's telling the people that the salvation you've received is the very thing that these great men and women of God spent their entire lives looking for in the Old Testament. And I think it's important for us to note that Jesus himself interpreted the prophet Isaiah when he was preaching in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. When he read a few verses, then he stopped in the middle of the verses and announced, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, talking about the coming Messiah. 
You see, the question often arises in, in every person's mind, myself included, when we suffer and walk through affliction, I believe that we have these questions of, hey, what if, what if Christianity really isn't true? What if I'm believing myths or some type of something that's purely psychological? What if I'm suffering for nothing? What if all of this is meaningless? What if all of this is in vain? Well, I believe that Peter's answer is that our salvation is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which prophecies made hundreds of years before Christ came were then fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Even though the prophets didn't understand everything the Holy Spirit was revealing to them, it's been fulfilled in Jesus' life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and in his ascension, and then soon, his promised second coming. As Peter goes on to later write in another letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he says, We have the prophetic word made more sure. Our salvation this morning is great because it is nothing less than that that was predicted throughout the Old Testament. Next, I believe it's great because it is revealed by God to man. Verse 11 establishes the divine inspiration of the Old Testament. And as Peter goes on to explain in 2 Peter 1.21, he says, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You see, the apostles didn't cook up their own message in the New Testament either. Peter tells his readers that those who preached the gospel to them, in verse 12, was by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You see, our salvation is great because the message of God's grace was not only predicted by the Old Testament prophets, but it was also revealed to man by God and Him alone. Peter tells us that it's also great because it's a mystery to the angels. Peter says that even the angels long to look into our salvation. Now, this, the, the original language, the, the Greek word for look, means to stoop to look into. Basically, it was also used of Peter stooping to look into the empty tomb in the Gospel of John chapter 20, or maybe to gaze intently at something, as James 1.25 tells us. It basically, this word look implies intense interest in something. You see, God has provided salvation to us as fallen men and fallen women, but it came at an extreme price. It came at a great cost, which was God in the form, in the person of Jesus Christ, coming, taking on human flesh, and dying in our place, an innocent death to cover a multitude of our sins. I believe it's also great because it involves the work of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it this morning, Jesus Christ is the center of world history. His coming to earth, his dying for our sins, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and the promise of his return are the most important facts in human history. Nothing else compares, not even close, to this life of Jesus Christ. He is the center, not only of all history, but he is the center of all Scripture. All Scripture speaks of Jesus Christ. When Paul reasoned from the Scripture with the Jews in Thessalonica, he explained and gave evidence that the Christ had to suffer 
and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus, who I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. Acts 17.3 The work of Christ, it refers to his death that satisfied the judgment of God that was a payment for my sins and for your sins. Our salvation is great because it's centered on these truths of Jesus Christ being the most crucial truths in the history of man. Now, in conclusion this morning, when you study your Bible, when you read your Bible, one of the secrets is to look for words that are repeated for emphasis. Now, sometimes these words are really not significant in and of themselves, but their repetition makes them significant. In our text this morning, there is a word that occurs once in verse 10 and then occurs three times in verse 12, and this drives home Peter's message. And that word is you. He writes of the grace that would come to you in verse 10. In verse 12, that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This morning, the point's pretty simple. Even though the message of God's salvation is the greatest message in human history, it doesn't do you any good unless you personally lay hold of it by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I began this message this morning by asking you this question, what consistently gives you the most joy in your life? This morning, if you don't know that great joy of salvation, perhaps it's because you've never personally responded to Christ, or maybe you've thought you've responded, but you've never given your heart wholly to Jesus Christ and made him the center of your life. Answer me this one question. What is stopping you from making that decision right now? What is keeping you? What is so great in your life that is so important that's keeping you from making a decision that will affect the entirety of your eternity. So this morning, please, if you do not know Jesus, turn your heart over to him. Reach out to us on the, 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 this, what, the website that we have here on the screen. Reach out to us via that prayer request page. Let us know because it's not a time to wait. It's not a time to think about this and put this off. God's moving your heart. You need to respond to his call this morning and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Pray with me if you will. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his resurrection. We thank you for the salvation that it brings us. We thank you for the promise of eternal life. God, as we celebrate your son's resurrection this morning, let us not forget the sacrifice that he made, the fact that he is victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and that he is seated right now at your right hand making intercession for us. So, Father, I pray that you draw hearts this morning. I pray that you convict us. I pray that we repent and turn ourselves to you like we've never done before. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.